As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. It is a distinct pleasure to be here in the uh, virtual studio today with Moira Weir, President and CEO of United Way of Greater Cincinnati. Moira, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this discussion and during this timing in the world that, that we live in. You have, Moira, you joined United Way in what I would say is one of the most important and critical organizations in our region, and in one of the most critical times that you might say in the last 100 years, I would say in the last 400 years as we continue to wrestle with equity and inclusion for all. What I This month's theme is around strategy alignment and deployment for those that are in our membership and for those that are our listening audience. What have you learned as you walk into the organization that you're leading and needed to set your focus, culture, and approach, and doing so while maintaining the core values of the organization? Well, gosh, like all of us, had to really pivot really quickly. And I think I had all these wonderful plans about entering the organization at a 90-day plan. I was going to do all these things, but clearly COVID impacted all of us and changed all of us. We all had to pivot really quickly. And what was a health crisis quickly became an economic crisis for those that were dedicated to serving you know, low-income families. So we had to pivot really quickly and figure out what was really important and how do we really truly engage the community in figuring out how best to meet their needs. And I say that because I think community engagement is critical on everything that we do. And you know, oftentimes, we sometimes think we know what's best, but really families know what's best, individuals know what's best. So really immediately, we wanted to engage the community and say, how can we be responsive? What are the things that you need that we may be missing or that you need help with? So I would say initially, we pivoted and just were really intentional and strategic about listening to the community and then also making sure that every decision we made and that we will continue to make going forward is driven by the needs of the community. And we exist because of the community. We're here to serve the community, to help the community, to help the providers that, that serve the community. So I would say that was something that we did and we pivoted really quickly about it. And we did some things that were not traditional, you know, building upon our business model. And, you know, United Way has a wonderful history, rich history of helping the community. But we haven't always been able to move and be as agile and lean as we wanted to be. And this really helped us make sure that we were doing that. And I would say, you know, we've had an awakening in this country, a reawakening actually around equity and inclusion. And what I can tell you, we talk about our four pillars. I call them our hallmark pillows, which pillars, which are basic needs, financial stability, access for everyone for quality education and quality health. You can't talk about that without talking about equity and inclusion. I mean, they go hand in hand. So we have this history of doing that. And so really, we're committed right now at the United Way to making sure that we disrupt the cycle of poverty that continues to keep our families and individuals from really moving on this continuum. And there's really no time like now. And we have to do that. We have to act. So 
everything we're doing always has that lens in terms of how we are engaging and disrupting because we know, I mean, if you think back, what we've done in the past isn't working. So instead of keep doing the same old thing, let's just change everything we're doing, turn ourselves upside down. And I say that because we're not the only person. I mean, I know your business, everybody's had to change how they do business. How do we interact now? So this was just, it accelerated my vision for the United Way, but I'm super excited and proud of not only how we responded, but how the community has responded and then how we have collectively come together. I would say the last thing I think that I think things like this really help us see is that we are all interdependent on each other. We have to work together. We have to support each other. I talk about this. I've talked about this a lot in my old position. I'm going to talk about it a lot here is that there's no competition when you talk about poverty and serving the community. So how best do we all come together and support each other and make sure we're maximizing each other's strengths and really build upon that so that at the end of the day, we truly meet the needs of the community, which are the families and the individuals that we're dedicated to serving. And that's our whole purpose. So, you know, I would just close in saying that today is the day, you know, going forward, not only do we, how do we respond today, but how do we think through how we can help rebuild our most, our, the communities that were hit the hardest, which are vulnerable communities, and then how we help them revitalize. And we do that through all of our partnerships and our collaboration and really to show how we're all dependent, interdependent on each other and building upon that. So Moira, there's two, there's many things that you just share, but there's two things I'd love to look at just a little deeper. So one is the internal focus, the ability that you have as a leader to come in and help set focus, work with your team to set strategy. And then the second part, which we'll get to is that external voice, ensuring that you're serving those that your mission is committed to serving. But what did you learn through that internal refocus with the the pivots and the changes that came upon us all so quick, right while you were setting your strategy for the organization and aligning your team? What did you learn from that internal conversation? All of us we all can get a little complacent. You know, we kind of been going things, this is how we've done it, this is how we've always done it. And it unfortunately, sometimes it takes an awakening. Something has to happen to kind of, oh my goodness, take a step back. It really, and this was a, in a global pandemic. I mean, this was a crisis. You know, so I think there was good work already happening. Clearly the board was doing great stuff, staff were doing great things, but we, did, we lacked a little sense of urgency. And I would say, you know, building upon my 27 years of being in the community and really boots on the ground serving the community, I was hopefully helpful to like bring that sense of urgency, but also stir that urgency that we all have. And then really, I will say staff rallied around it immediately in terms of like, you know, everybody wants clarity on what's our purpose and what's our vision and why do we exist? When you start having conversations internally, like we exist, number one, because of the community. That's the whole reason we're here. We're here to make sure that we raise resources and we deploy them to meet the needs of the community. And then what are our true focuses? Well, for us, it's really helping families that are living in poverty and certainly helping neighborhoods where they have been, you know, where we think there's lots of vulnerability. And that's really when you talk about financial stability, basic needs, quality education, and healthcare. I mean, really, every child in this community, every individual deserves access to quality education and access to health. So when you get crystal clear, I think, on your your vision internally and your mission that helps staff stay laser focused. And it's easy, you know, you know, mission creep happens to all of us. 
you know, because you want to be, maybe you want to do more and how can I help? But you have to sometimes say, you know what, right now, this is our skill set, our sweet spot. There are other people who do other things really super well. Let's support them as they do that. But this is where we're going to be really internally focused and intentional. And then I think that helps then, then it also helps you as your staff are communicating that same message externally. And I would say when we talk about what's changed externally, you know, one thing that I felt was really important for the United Way is we've done a fantastic job always of doing a donor engagement and having those conversations, room for improvement always. But community engagement was something I thought we could do a better job. So we actually have a whole unit. You know, I brought in a, a leader that's been really deep in the community. It's all around a community engagement. And we've already brought to the table more than 200 non-traditional faith-based organizations really driven by community. And if you think about all these wonderful shareholders, you know, stakeholders, whatever you want to call them, coming together and talking through community, it gives us great information in terms of how we build not only programming, because programming is important, but then how do we take this information to help us really change policy and practices? And at the end of the day, we have to change the barriers, they're awfully often the inequities that exist in our systems and how we really change those through legislature policy change to really help our families. Yeah. So one of the things I really took from what you just shared is that the maybe initially as you walk in, and this is any leader, right? There's just times that all of our organizations benefit from disruption. Nobody would ever want what we've had to live through in this past year, but it helped you really anchor in mission, vision, and purpose, get very clear on why we're here. And it sounds like it gave that revitalized sense of urgency and energy to go and achieve, right? What we're set out to achieve. And I thank you for that. I thank your team for that. And as you mentioned, the stakeholders and let's talk first about those. Are there, are there any particular exercises that you utilize to make sure you're listening to those that you serve, your customer, your, the mission of your organization? Did you do any type of community conversations? You just mentioned you pulled together the faith-based community, which usually have a great grasp of what's going on in their neighborhoods. Any other exercises that you use to ensure that we're meeting the needs of those who we're supposed to be serving? Well, so to your point, you know, initially we were going to have all these face-to-face, community-wide engagement conversations, you know, how you go, but really being in the community, having them, of course, with COVID, you could do that. You know, people were terrified, as they should be. So we really tried to do it actually the best we could through technology. And then, you know, we had one afternoon Fortunately, with this great, you know, having Procter & Gamble lead in our campaign has been just amazing. And they were able to give us over a million and a half masks and sanitizer. What a great way to engage with the community. Because if you think back in March and April and in June, and even now, you know, PPE equipment is expensive and it's hard to find. And particularly when you look at impoverished neighborhoods, and information was key and people couldn't get information. So we wanted to make sure we were available. We had one afternoon where we had over... 55 individual cars coming through a faith-based organization that's non-traditional. You're handing out masks and sanitizers. And during that very social distancing, getting good information about what are we hearing on the streets? You know, what are you hearing? But also talking through our wonderful provider network. Like, what are you hearing in your communities? What can we do? And then really making sure we're listening as services are being delivered. What's the feedback we're getting? Are there things that we're missing? Are there gaps? 
Are there needs that we haven't accounted for? And constantly taking that information and challenging ourselves to be innovative. Are we, could we do it this differently? You know, one thing we did because, you know, I knew, I mean, go back to imagine yourself, you're, you're a father, you go to work and you, let's say you work in a restaurant and you find out your restaurant's closing and you're going to use your tips and wages that night, you know, or that week to pay for food or shelter, or whatever your income ever night, you lost it. Well, you might then have to say to yourself, I don't have a savings account. I'm going to have to go apply for public assistance, you know, public supports, which you might not know is it's going to take you 35 to 45 days to get that. So one thing we did is we reached out to the local job and family services and said, listen, if you have somebody making an application today and they're eligible, but their application is pending, we're going to give you a gift card to give to them so they could go out and purchase food. So just imagine yourself, the trauma, you lost your job. I'm so stressed out. How am I going to feed my family? But I go make an application. I'm told I've got 45 days. You don't have 45 days. So again, we were really creative in terms of how we did that. So we try to do more and more things like that, both as the NIWA, but with our partners in terms of how do we, again, be very responsive and meet those needs. Because you know, the last thing, and, and I know you know this, but there's so much trauma in our community. And when you imagine a mother or a father, an aunt, uncle, being traumatized by what's happened to them in terms of losing a job or losing their home or not having transportation, then you add on other things. It just adds more trauma. And we want to try to do what we can to alleviate those additional stressors. And to those listening, Moira, I've shared with so many organizations that, and so many have shared with us, like nobody wanted to go through what we've gone through this year. Nobody wanted to lay people off. Nobody wanted to go through multiple rounds of furloughs But we also need to recognize that those who have experienced those, whether our organization was the reason behind it because we had to with lack of business or safety concerns or whatever we may have been hit with, but what can we do to help those who are exiting our organization, right? I would even say the people that we may have had, if there's individuals on the listening that had a let someone goes six or seven months ago, have you checked in with them? Have you asked how they're doing? I know we were fortunate to be getting calls from organizations to say, hey, if you know anyone letting anyone go, we need to hire 235 people in the next four weeks because we've been deemed essential and we're going to be producing something that is filtering into the supply chain of PPE. And many connections were happening from the restaurant retail industry to the manufacturing and distribution industry. So being proactive, and it's not over yet. I mean, organizations, even now, there's a lot of organizations going through another round of shift to get their company prepared for 2021, right? So when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this still in 2020, or if you're a few months behind and you're catching up in 2021, just listen to what was just shared of some of the needs. What are the needs of the individuals? And if you're in a place where you're looking at, wow, we weren't affected negatively, but how can I serve the community? Right now, you all are running a campaign for five for everyone to donate $5 or more and then tag five people, right? Just by doing that. Create, can create a significant impact. And no matter where you are, there's a United Way serving your region, thankfully. So think about ways that you can support real time, encourage your teams to run a campaign, 
we've had three of our clients donate money, large sums of money to the internet concerns of our region. So specifically that your team is leading, you know, we've had three clients say, you know, I'd love to give to something specific and no better way than to look at these data deserts that are created and how do we get children and households internet. So we've had three of our clients support that specific effort. And I love that your team is hitting specific efforts that are helping the families and households that you serve. Um, so thank you on behalf of those clients that and us that are excited to ensure that all kids have access because it's a deep concern when you're living in this virtual world. And I know I've talked to people all over the country, large cities, mid-sized cities that are all having to address this exact issue that's been created. So as you hit with stakeholders, strategic partners, community impact makers, what did that feel like? Because it seems like you're under your leadership and others in our region that there was a quick coming together to address these immediate needs of those that you're serving. Yeah, I mean, we did several things. I mean, first of all, you know, my first day, I started on March 16th and actually was GCF. We joined arm in arm with GCF. We have a great partnership, both as organizations and as individuals. We were able to raise more than $7.3 million in less than three months. We deployed 100% of those dollars back into the community to make sure that we were, again, being very responsive, engaged more than 200 plus organizations as we did that. You know, we heard, you know, seniors are often forgotten about. We heard that, you know, imagine seniors living in, you know, residential facilities or, or assisted living. They were immediately shut off from their families, like no visitors, no contact. Well, like my grandparents, I mean, or my parents, they don't necessarily have the technology. And so they couldn't pick up a cell phone. They couldn't do a video call. So we heard that time and time again, and we were able to do the very generous donation of, of an organization able to distribute iPads throughout the community and region to those nursing facilities, assisted living. And so immediately seniors were connected with their family. I mean, imagine just the tears rolling down their eyes as they could have this conversation through technology with their family. And then family could see that their parent or loved one is okay. We have thousands and thousands of letters being written by individuals in our community that we are sending to seniors who are isolated, whether they're in their own home or someplace else. And imagine receiving a note to say that somebody out there is thinking of you, sending you love, hoping that you're doing well. And then, as you had mentioned, the digital divide is huge. We know that, you know, nationally, we think there's like potentially more than 3 million children that are somewhere missing. Schools can't account for them. And it's unfortunately, so many of our families are so vulnerable. They might be moving or, you know, that was one thing we worked really hard with the, through our national partnerships through the CDC as we put that moratorium on evictions through the end of the year, because that's stability for families. If families are evicted, that disrupts their, not only the trauma of their home, but then think about their community that they know, their church, their school, maybe their healthcare provider, whatever. So we wanted to make sure that we advocated at that national level. So through our 211 system, we wanted to make that more robust. And how can we be particularly, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, information in the beginning was changing. And if you don't have access to the internet or you can't you don't know what's happening and it's a scary time. So we want to make sure that our two-on-one staff are well-prepared to be a one-stop shop for COVID. And they did a tremendous job. In fact, we were able to connect individuals that were having concerns around rental, making the rental rental assistance to 
to more than $3.5 million through the CARES dollars. So again, making sure people had those access to those dollars. And then through our great partnership with the Family Independence Initiative, we were able to deploy almost $750,000 in the community through not only rental assistance, but direct assistance. Really trying to think through how we bring together lots of different people and working together. I would say the last thing in terms of how do you mobilize community, I say one of the greatest strengths of the United Way is their ability to convene. And we've learned how to convene through technology, right? And how do we bring together so many different people? And you heard me talk in the beginning just about the providers, the non-traditional providers, the faith-based organization. Again, how that informs us and then how we go to the government and the legislature and think through how do we change policy? You know, we stopped, we, how we worked on the evictions. Then we go to wonderful people in the business community like you, you know, when we get, we, you help us figure out ways to be more strategic perhaps, or how to do different things with our business plan. But we also can hopefully spur philanthropy in your heart. But then more importantly, get involved in your community. Know what's happening. Whether you become a volunteer, an advocate for something on a policy, all of these people coming together and convening and mobilizing around one shared vision, vision is powerful. And, you know, for us, as we talk about the needs of this community and the poverty in this community, how do we really all come together and say, what can we do? But always in everything that we do, because to your point, people we know have lost their jobs. You have to have humility around that when you're asking people. You know, we don't know what their situation is. We don't know that maybe someone in their household lost their job or they have a, a parent or, you know, an uncle, aunt. So you want to have humility when you go and ask people to help. But what I have found, which is just, I think, so inspiring and hopeful about mankind is people want to help. We have people that have nothing and they're like, I want to help. What can I do? And so whether they volunteer or donate, even a dollar, a dollar can pay for a family for half their lunch. Think about that. Like they really can maximize. So it's just to me, I think it's just an opportunity in terms of how we can bring people together. You know, we're almost like a neutral broker, so to speak. And then just having these really robust, important conversations and then really aligning around something and mobilizing around a single cause. Yeah, and again, to our listeners, what you just heard are the, the little ways. And, you know, now is a time that we're all thinking about this week. I was talking to my wife about donating to an organization that for $40, you can provide Thanksgiving dinner to what can we be doing to help right now? Are there any children that still don't have devices? And are there anyone that you can connect to the digital divide initiative that United Way has leading? Because you're hearing that the family hasn't even shown up on a call yet. And, you know, is there a school resource that you can make a connection that you can be proactive? It's not just financial giving. It's also your, of your resources right? That's part of the privilege that's talked about. We have resources that others do not have access to, do not have the network for. And just by leveraging your network, your privilege that you have that network can help serve others. Well, you just said something that really totally resonates to your point. Unfortunately, families that are living in poverty don't have access to information, but they don't get invited into some of the rooms that policies are made or people have the conversations or they're intimidated to some of these huge bureaucratic systems, whether it's the government, the school system can seem overwhelming. And so they don't have a voice. They feel like they've lost their voice. So the more we can do to help support them and advocate on their behalf as they ask us, to, what's the message you would like? Again, doing it from their perspective. I mean, that's just really powerful in terms of how we then really collectively support 
through advocacy and really challenging ourselves to be raising issues in the community about what has to change. Yeah, Moira, the last couple months, we've been covering courageous conversations and active listening and the power of not just communicating, but really listening and asking the right questions through communications to hear what's going on. And if you look at the the services, the resources that you've been providing, if you take it from those that are listening that are running a business, I mean, that's how we should be responding to our customers and our community. You know, we talk at the Talent Magnet Institute, we're here to help you succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, and help you hear things that you go, I never thought of that, right? And drawing that correlation or thinking about how you've responded to your customers and your clients also helps understand how our community leaders have had to respond to those that they're serving and to hear the immediate needs and address those needs and to do so quickly. And it takes resources, right? It takes partners, it takes stakeholders. Moira, can you share with our listeners if they're leading a $30 million manufacturing company or they're a director in a multi-billion dollar organization, but running a team of, let's say, 56 people, what can those organizations do to help their United Way and their community or our United Way here in our community be most effective to help you meet the needs even further? To me, there are lots of ways to get involved. I mean, number one, you can always donate, which is awesome. And then, you know, but you can also be a volunteer. Think about opportunities. I mean, volunteering is a little bit difficult now and it's harder, but there's still ways to do it through the digital, through technology. I actually was a big sister to a foster child and that experience, that volunteer experience changed my life. I was in the business field and I did a, a complete change of career. I've never looked back. I've always been fortunate to have a really amazing experience working in the, in the public sector or on behalf of the community. So volunteers, being a volunteer can change your life in ways you might not know. <laughs> so whether it changes from a career perspective or it impacts you in a way that you want to do more advocacy work or you want to do, I mean, I would tell you another thing that, that I'm so proud of the work that the staff do here is tax season. Think about that particularly if you already are struggling with, you know, filling out forms, understand them. We had over 500 volunteers this year that helped over 8,000 households, individuals complete their tax returns. And then think about that. I mean, that's a cumbersome thing. We saved those individuals more than $2 million in filing fees, also brought back to the community through those tax returns over $12 million. So that's a perfect example of a volunteerism. And then what do we do? And we've had this great history in the United Way of taking the information we've learned and how do we then go back and take it to the legislature and think about things that we can do. So that earned income tax refund was all about the information we had in terms of our intel with working with families and what we could do. So you can become a volunteer, an advocate. You can help change policy. You can help us go, go advocate, whether it's in Columbus or in D.C. in terms of what the changes we want to do. And we always are happy for donations. So <laughs> you can you know, send us a check. But to me, it's time, talent, and treasure that really help our community. And then it really gets you incredibly invested in your community when you really are close, close to the individuals and families that we're trying so desperately to serve. As we think through, our family's been involved in the United Way, my immediate family, been involved in the United Way for over 10 years. I had a key relationship of mine years ago, Ron Brown, 
who connected me at that time with Ray Allen, who was with United Way. And, and I was looking for how to leverage the networks that I had and to bless our community. And Craig Young connected me with Ron Brown, who connected me with Ray, and then hopped into a committee. And, you know, here we are, right, over a decade later. But it, many of us knew that some strategies and approaches were a bit dated and needed to shift. And when I heard the ability just to text and give a few dollars, right? It's like, yes, micro giving is where it's at. Everyone can participate, whether it's a quarter that you have with your family or, hey, let's each give a dollar and there's four of us in our family or more if you have other resources, but really changing the, shifting the mindset that we all can be philanthropic, right? And we all can serve one another and we all can make connections. Are there other approaches that you felt like the organization needed to take that was accelerated? And there may have been some that kind of got put on a parking lot list, right? Like we're not going to be able to go after that right now because of this immediacy. Can you walk through from a business strategy perspective, how you had to approach the shift that was necessary and some of those items that needed to be put on hold that we thought was going to be this year's big objectives, right? Any perspective there? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, we need to be, I mean, I'm talking a lot about the new modern day United Way. We have to pivot to meet today's need. And the work, you know, the work has changed in our industry so much different than it was 10, 15 years ago, probably similar to you in your industry in terms of how do you engage a younger workforce, how do you engage through, you know, workplace campaigns are huge. I will tell you, surprisingly, people have been very engaged in our campaigns. And I think it's, you know, part of it's hopefully with the clarity of our message, but also we're connecting people through their workplace, through volunteer opportunities, which is really impactful, but also making sure we diversify ourselves. And so is it just going to be, we don't want to just show up once a year. We want to be available all the time. So we're communicating more frequently. We're telling you what we're doing with your dollars. We're showing you how your dollars are being maximized and how we're improving outcomes for our families. We want to be touching you throughout the year so you feel connected to the work. We also want to make sure that we diversify our funding. I mean, I'll give you another example where we looked at how can we maximize, you know, some of the public dollars coming in. And so we knew that particularly families that were living in poverty, they get tested for COVID or they have somebody in their household tested for COVID. They can't stay home and work remotely or they might not be able to work. So how do we help then wrap services around them? So we were able to access over a million dollars through the CARES funding. We're working closely with the Health Collaborative and we're wrapping case management services around those individuals that have been identified as needing supports. So again, we're being a little bit more creative. We're doing something different. We have partnerships with public entities and private entities, healthcare entities, and really trying to, again, diversify who we are and how we engage and provide supports but really what you're hearing still at the core, it's families that are living in poverty that need our help. And how are we helping them either meet their basic needs, have financial stability, get access to healthcare, education. So again, being very strategic and focused on our purpose, but then looking at how do we approach our work in a different way. So I also, you know, obviously help to have, you know, Procter & Gamble lead us through this tremendous campaign. They've been just amazing leaders and, and supports. But I also would say the community also at large has said, we want to help. I mean, even companies that have had significant reductions, 
their staff have been like, but we want to also help our help, help our community. So again, having humility when you ask that question and you ask people to help, but also saying there are other things you can do, volunteerism, advocacy, and those are incredibly important assets to this community. And pausing for a second and thinking through personal leadership, right? So encouraging your internal team to take care of themselves to, you know, it's a lot of emotion. The world that you're in is a lot of emotion and that people have to work through. How have you encouraged for yourself personally and for your team to take care of themselves during this time? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think all of us are struggling a little bit with that because we're finding ourselves just, you know, feeling disconnected to people. It's not our nature. And we want to see each other face to face or have those connections at a personal level. So I think, you know, it's always important. This work is emotionally painful. Your heart aches when you hear stories. And it also, you know, helps motivate you to at the same time and inspire you. I mean, I have a lot of energy on this work because there's so much we can do. It's hard to say we can rest, but we know we have to rest because it's it's going to be a long haul. So just making sure we acknowledge when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's important to tell your staff member or something, hey, why don't you take a couple of days off? You need to take a step back. You need to regenerate, you know, do something. And you know, for me personally, I like to get up early and take a run in the morning and that just clears my mind. I like to be outside with nature and it just, and I think everybody needs to find what that is. I have friends that enjoy reading, you know, I like, you know, whatever it is that gives you a sense of peace, it's important to find that and disconnect for a little bit to recharge yourself because you need to be, you need to be strong when you're really trying to be a good advocate for families. And you, to your point, when you were talking about listening, if you're tired, you don't always listen. But when you're fresher, you have a more open mind and heart to hear what's happening around you. And have you all taken any encouraging, I know some organizations, Moira, have said, like, we've noticed our employees that are working haven't taken their vacations. They haven't, you know, we're all running so hard, so fast. And we've been hearing of organizations looking at that and addressing kind of the, their own mental health with inside and exhaustion. Have you all had to kind of call time out with any team members and encourage that they take a day off or take a break or anything like that? I think that's been more on the individual yeah. supervisor and staff are still worked out. But, you know, you do raise a really good point. We're starting to talk about that. I mean, that's not for all of us. Like none of us can... We can't really go anywhere. We you know, can't travel. So how are we all challenging ourselves to think through how do I take a step down, you know, shut the name. And if I can't go someplace, what can I do locally that's safe? Yeah. Like, even if it's a, what is it, staycation in my house, like, how do I make that happen? But I think those are really good conversations to have. And I think it's important as colleagues, we talk about what we're doing. You know, I'd love to learn from other people how they're managing that in their organizations and how can we share things that have been successful for each of us. Because I think we're all looking as leaders for help, figure out how to navigate a time that none of us have ever navigated. Right. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about it. It's been incredible. It's been one of those topics that's probably has come up a lot the last 60, 80 days. I think it even encouraged me. I actually made a statement on one of our podcasts that I had not taken a break since March right? Our spring break was canceled. We didn't go anywhere for summer vacation. And at that time, it was like, I have only worked from home one day, right? So I'm, you know, as president CEO, I kept coming into the office, even though no one was here. And 
I mean, filling the schedule, filling the exhaustion. There's no 30, 40 minutes between my next meeting to drive to. So I made it, I made a commitment that I was going to take some time off. And I've taken a few, a couple now, hope to take another one very soon, just a really long weekend. And it helped kind of, I'm going to step out. I need the break. We know of different companies that are doing different staycation challenges. And, you know, the whole, you never quite know the city when you're a local, like people who visit it. So let's really go tour the city, providing options and resources. You know, the other part, I love that there's still opportunity to volunteer. Volunteering builds into those that are volunteering as much as those that you're serving, right? So is another way just to kind of revitalize some energy around that. So the topic of communication, what have you learned through this on rapid communication? Because I would think unlike any other time, as you mentioned before, the impact of rapid communication. Any dynamic there you can share with our listeners? I mean, I think communication is key, right? The more and more you communicate, the better it is. And so we've been really trying to, we have increased our communication both internally and externally. So we want to be communicating through website, through letters from me or this other mechanisms through social media, like, you know, just reminding people about the United Way, reminding them what we're doing, reminding them of our purpose, but also communicating with staff because we forget sometimes or we think that they know everything, but they might not. So we've been trying to, as, as each individual leader here that we put together like a, a weekly update that we share with globally. So everybody knows like what each other's doing because if they're not a sitting beside their colleague or they might not have to, to your point, we're back to back on teams or whatever. You might not have time to just kind of think about all those conversations you had waiting for me to start after a meeting ended and you, you get little bits of information. They're just trying to make sure that you could probably never over communicate and just making sure that you're always communicating and also doing it in different ways. Because I think people absorb information differently and then being recognizing that we all have a capacity to hear things differently. I love that you were talking about listening because I think that's something we could all do better. You know, it's like really, how are we really honestly listening and being open to what's being told to us? And so thinking through then, how do you then communicate to those different listeners? That's great. Well, Moira, thank you for this time. I'd love for you to share with our listeners how they can connect to our United Way here and the greater Cincinnati area while we're on together. So what would you recommend people do? Well, jump on and visit our website. I mean, we have lots of ways you can connect, whether you want to donate, volunteer, be, you know, do, do, do work with our public, our public policy. It's, we're alive and well right now, trying to really, really robust in terms of how we address some of these public policy issues and just really get involved. I mean, I want you to be as passionate about the United Way as I am and be involved and, and be involved in your community. So I just am so grateful for this opportunity today. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership, your friendship, your organization, all of your team on our behalf at the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial. We thank all of you. To our listeners, I hope you picked, I know you're going to pick up several things because we always do each week when we're together. Thank you for participating in this conversation. And I hope you'll take a moment to pause to think about what you can do, you and those that are around you can do to serve the community. Again, we talk often about helping leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. 
And there's so much opportunity and so much need right now that our community needs you and others' lives need you. So thank you for being a part of this community. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet Eye on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.